Hello and thanks for the privilege of your company today and thanks for tuning in. This is Search for Truth with Programme 2 in our four-part series. And the series is called The Power and the Glory of God's Kingdom. Today our Bible teacher Brian is talking about the coming kingdom. As always, he'll take us to the Bible so we know we have a true evaluation of God's plans for this world. So now let's listen to Brian as he tells us about the coming kingdom. Thanks, John. Each king appointed in Israel had the honour of prefiguring the coming king and kingdom. An insightful Israelite would know that a greater David would one day surpass past glories. Israel's time of captivity in Babylon had produced a vacancy on David's throne, but the prophets foretold that the crown of Judah was to remain without a wearer only until he come whose right it is. So there was hope that the best days still lay ahead. This rightful king would turn out to be the long-expected Messiah. Along with such prophesying of the messianic age, the ultimate expression of the kingdom was also predicted. The fact that the Bible's Messiah is first of all Israel's king means that Israel's recovery was guaranteed. And so this idea of the coming kingdom is intertwined with the prediction of the coming king, which is why we find the arrival of the messianic age and the arrival of the kingdom bound together in what Peter preached at Jerusalem. Through the prophet Daniel, God had said, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people. We find that reference in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. And these 70 weeks, as Daniel called them, chart Israel's path back to regaining sovereignty at the head of the nations. Let's discover more about these 70 weeks, for they are the whole key to the framework of Bible prophecy, including the kingdom to come. By allowing Israel to be taken away into captivity in Babylon, God had imposed 70 years of enforced rest on the land of Israel. This was to compensate for the fact that for the past 490 years before that, they had failed to allow the land to rest fallow every seventh year, as God had previously commanded them. That was just typical of their disobedience. So the 490 years was, if you like, made up of 70 lots of seven years. Now, looking forward from that same time of captivity, the 70 weeks that Daniel is speaking about in his ninth chapter were in fact another 490 years that now stretched ahead in God's programme for Israel, since they can be divided up also in the same way into 70 groups of sevens. This is in fact what Daniel said. 70 weeks, or 70 sevens, have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. This is from the Jewish language section of Daniel's book, indicating this was God's plan for Israel through to the time of the end. Let's just interrupt here to say that this obviously hasn't happened yet as far as Israel is concerned. For Israel has not yet embraced her Messiah. Far less has Israel made an end of sin and entered into the experience of everlasting righteousness. So the entire 490 years were not consecutive 
from that time onwards in the 6th century BC. In Daniel, the promise was given that world domination by Gentiles is not to endure forever. Their empires are to pass away. After this period of Gentile domination over Israel, Daniel foretold, The God of heaven shall set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and it shall stand forever. Daniel 2.44 But even before God sets up that future kingdom, he's not even at this time abdicated his sovereignty, since the Gentile kings are reminded that they too hold their power by the permission of God. As Daniel again said, the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomsoever he will. And, according to the unfolding of God's plans for this world, it's currently his will for Gentile kings to be dominant. But that'll change. Israel's future trouble and restoration are key moves toward the establishment of God's kingdom. Jesus said, There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves being thrown out. That was said to disbelieving Jews of that generation. And Jesus said they'll come from east and west and from north and south and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. Luke 13 verse 28. So this is what Jesus' first disciples and others of their generation were already looking ahead to. Believers in Israel and outside of Israel, by which I now mean Christian believers, will possess in fullest measure that same hope. As far as God's promises and God's purposes for Israel are concerned, normal service will one day be resumed. As the prophet Isaiah predicted, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it for out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into ploughshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. So wonderful times lie ahead for those who love God. The fully ripe kingdom, with Israel back at the head of the nations, will materialise after Jesus Christ, the Deliverer, has returned to Jerusalem and Gentile world power is finally shattered. Jesus looked ahead to such a time when he spoke to his disciples just before going to the cross, and he said, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. This same futuristic view of the kingdom after the return of the Son of Man, is plainly set out by Luke when he records Jesus as saying, Behold the fig tree and all the trees, as soon as they put forth leaves, you see it and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, recognise that the kingdom of God is near. The consistent message to Jewish disciples back then, in the time of Christ, was that Sometime after Jesus' death, things were going to be different. Israel would get what it was looking for, but only way in the future. For the kingdom of God does embrace something which will be more like what people expect when there's talk of a kingdom. 
there'll be a final blossoming of the kingdom, as the Old Testament predicted. The kingdom of God in its full manifestation is future, and its authority will be exercised by the saints of the Most High, with redeemed humanity, both Jew and Gentile, headed up in Christ. The sovereignty exercised by the kings of Israel will then be seen to have been but a faint picture of the ideal exercise of that divine sovereignty in an age yet to come. Those in the Gospels, like Simeon, had a keen sense of anticipation of all this. We read, Simeon was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Then there was Anna, who came up and began giving thanks to God, and continued to speak of him, that's of Jesus, to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. And Joseph also, a man from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who was waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. This was ahead of our Lord's first advent, and theirs was an expectation based, of course, on the promise given in the first part of the Bible. But the time is still to come when God will send back the Messiah, or Christ, to this earth. Notice how this early mention of the kingdom of God in the Gospels is side by side with mention of the consolation of Israel and the redemption of Jerusalem, showing that the common expectation of a godly minority in Israel at that time was an expectation of Israel's recovery. And they weren't wrong. They were only premature. And it was a misunderstanding that was set to continue. Disappointed disciples at the time of the cross said, we were hoping that it was he, Jesus, who was going to redeem Israel. Even after the cross, in resurrection, when the Lord Jesus presented himself alive after his suffering, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Those words are found, of course, in Acts chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. So if we're in danger of being confused by Jesus' words, then the Jews themselves were certainly wrong-footed by their reading of the Old Testament. Even Jesus' closest followers after the expositions of those 40 days, closeted alone with the Master in resurrection, even these disciples wanted the power and glory sooner rather than later. However, as our text from Acts chapter 1 makes clear, at that stage the power which Jesus promised was spiritual, centering on the impending power of the Spirit. But the time is certainly coming when we will join with them in judging the world and the kingdom will be a physical kingdom. As yet, we are even now still living in the times of the Gentiles, between the two advents of the Messiah, and so within the overlapping of two ages, namely the present age and the age to come. It's as if the age to come has now invaded the present age and now overlaps it. The king and his kingdom have in one sense already come, but in another sense, they're still to come. The kingdom experience which Jesus has promised us is first spiritual and inconspicuous, 
but in the future it'll be more like what we might call an actual kingdom, and a highly conspicuous one at that. What the first disciples had to grasp, and what we even now struggle with in trying to understand all the various references to the kingdom of God, is this overlap idea. This is the key to a correct and balanced view of the kingdom of God today, as we'll see God willing next week, as we hope to continue to orientate ourselves within the big picture and within the grand scheme of things as revealed in the Bible. Yes, there is a king who is coming to reign over this earth, Jesus, the Son of God. And as our hymn tells us, it will herald a wonderful kingdom. There's a transcript booklet for this series, and if you like one or more for group study, ask for the title, The Power and the Glory of God's Kingdom. You can contact us by email or by post, and here's the address. Search for Truth, P.O. Box 70115, Chilomani, Blantyre, Malawi. And the email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. You can also find past programmes and helpful material on our website at www.searchfortruth.org.uk. So that's all we have today. It's been great to have your company and uh, please join us again next week if you can. But until then, it's our very best wishes from Bible teacher Brian, our studio technician, David, our singers, and me, John. So goodbye for now, and may God richly bless you, as always.